having words that you know to write is so different from what is your message? What do people need to hear? And I know that sounds like really esoteric, like I should pull out my beret, but there's a difference (laughs) between having like talking points and having something to say. And so many times I think I have it until I sit down and try to put words to paper. And then it's like, oh, oh no, we got some figuring out to do. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Today on the Find Your Voice podcast, we're talking to my friend and one of the most prolific readers I know, Anne Bogle. In case you don't know Anne, she is the creator of the popular blog Modern Mrs. Darcy, known by readers, authors, and publishers as a tastemaker through her popular book lists and reading guides. Books are the foundation of her site, which has been affectionately dubbed as a lifestyle blog for nerds. Anne considers this high praise. She lives in Louisville, Kentucky with her husband and four kids, Yellow Lab, and get this, 2,000 of her favorite books. One of the things that makes Anne so compelling and unique is that she's not only an expert when it comes to reading, she's also a gifted writer herself, something that it should not surprise you often goes hand in hand. In fact, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to writers who are looking to grow their craft is to read more often. And if you aren't sure where to start with this, Anne can certainly help. But what I'm most excited to share with you today is our conversation about the power of books to create change in any reader's life, about the challenge of finding time for our writing, even when writing is our full-time job, and about the natural tendency to get stuck in the creative process, even if you've done this a thousand times. You're going to be inspired by my conversation with Anne, I'm sure of it. You'll be motivated by all that can come from the simple act of starting a blog. And I hope you'll leave with some tips and tricks that might just make you a better writer. Let's jump right in. Hello, Anne Bogle. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast. Thank you for having me, Allie. It is a pleasure to be here. So fun. I love that we're going to get to chat with you today and that our listeners will get to hear all of your, your, from your wealth of wisdom and (laughs) no pressure. (laughs) And you and I know each other behind the scenes. So it's always fun to get to do this with friends too. Um, All right. Well, let's jump right in with the first question that I always ask, which is what does find your voice mean to you? Oh, that's such a great question. And I have a roundabout way of answering it. Go for it. (laughs) When I started writing, I thought the way it worked was I knew what I would say and I'd say it and then people would read it. I thought that's how it worked. And I found that that path is a lot more meandering than I first anticipated. Over the years, I've really come to see the truth that was there all along, which is I write to find out what I think. And I write to find out where the story will go, not just to capture the story that's in my head, which means finding your voice is so much more interesting and nuanced and also... um, 
has this wondering component that I didn't really see in the beginning. But getting that initial idea, the thing that I think I want to say, the thing that I think people need to hear from my brain in onto paper where the words fall in the right order and it sounds good and the train of thought is there and it's interesting and it impacts people and it matters and hopefully it's a joy to read as well. Um, that's what I think of when I hear those words. Mm, that's so good. You know, nobody has, I asked this question in every interview and nobody has touched on that yet, but it's really such an important point that I think a lot of writers think that that's how writing works, that you know what you're going to say and then you sit down and you say the thing you knew you were going to say. And it's so important that you talked about that, that at least for me, and it sounds like for you and for so many writers, I know the process is a little bit more like you think you know what you're going to say, and then you sit down and something different comes out. And then yes. it's like almost more questions than answers. You're like, wait a second, was that what I was trying to say? Yes, that's exactly it. I think I know what I'm going to say. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I am consciously exploring, but I'm working on a short piece right now. I mean, it's my word count goal is 800 words. My outline was <laughs> present from the beginning. That's not always common for me. And I thought, I thought to myself, this is, this is what I did to myself. I thought this is going to be easy. And then I sat down and realized I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like I have these bullet points that go in the middle, but having words that you know to write is so different from what is your message? What do people need to hear? And I know that sounds like really esoteric, like I should pull out my beret, but there's a difference <laughs> between having like talking points and having something to say. And so many times I think I have it until I sit down and try to put words to paper. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> oh no, we got some figuring out to do. Oh, that's so good. Thanks for saying that. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you and have you talk to our listeners is because you do so many things. You're a prolific writer. You are a, also a prolific reader. You're an amazing podcaster. You you do all the things, Anne. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and you're I good at all, all of them. I, oh. Every time I talk to you, I'm like, you're working on a new project and I'm like, and you have a family. You've got a husband and kids and I'm like, how do you do it all? But can you can you give our listeners a little bit of context for how you got into this work that you're doing? Yeah, the short answer is I started with a blog. That's I I wasn't <laughs> professionally writing. Well, you know, I was doing some professional writing, but it was in the field of real estate law. Like I was writing <laughs> legal complaints and about boundary line disputes and I I wasn't writing anything creative. But I was I think I just turned 30. I, like so many women, I had I had kids and my youngest was one and I was not doing anything that was mine. And my husband suggested that I should start a blog. And I was like, I don't even read blogs. Like, I don't understand why you think this would be a good idea. But he started making a case and he showed me some examples and he's like, you have, we have these things that we talk about. Those, those might be interesting for you to explore in this context. You know, you used to like to write, you still write now in notebooks, like maybe this could be for you. And long story short, it launched maybe six weeks later. And I, I did, like, I just fell in love with being able to write in that format. And also, well, let me tell you, write in that format because you write something, you put it out there and people can read it and talk to you about whatever it is you wanted to talk about. That's why you were compelled to write the thing immediately. Like blogging has this instant, accessibility. And I didn't know, I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't know about the conversation that would come next. And I really enjoyed it. 
So it took off from there. And we later added the podcast in early 2016. Oh, that happened in like 2011. I started blogging early 2011. We added the podcast five years later, and now we do have a book club site, and my uh, it's a membership community. And my first book was published in 2017. Amazing. And you've written three, you have your third one coming out. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Before we talk about you as a writer, I want to talk about you as a reader a little bit because you read more books than just about anybody that I know. And um... <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, there are people who read many times more books than I do, but I do read a lot. Well, I true. feel like I read a lot, but you, anyway, I can't keep up with you. Luckily, it's not a competition. <laughs> That's true. But, but for true. my job, yeah, I do. I do read a lot of books. It's true. What do you find draws a reader to a book? Oh, that's so interesting. Well, I think it's different for different readers. I think we feel a, uh, we're going to get beyond stuff like the cover because obviously that's the case or somebody told us it was good. I think we're drawn to books either by what we think the work has to say to us or what we think the book we want to read, what the fact that we're reading it says about us which is kind of sneaky. And we often don't realize we're doing it, but we do it all. I mean, we do it all the time. It's so Some true. people more than others. That's really true. You know, what's funny too, is I tell writers all the time when they're working on a book that they have to think about the identity of their reader and the kind of identity that they're, what their reader would want to identify with. So especially when we're thinking about cover and title and stuff, we'll talk about how you wouldn't want to create a title for a book that a reader wouldn't want to identify with. So you wouldn't want to like the word loser to be <laughs> to be like really, you know, on the nose, but you wouldn't want that word to be in the title of a book because yeah, a reader, when, a, when they reach out for a book, that's what they're looking for is to identify with what the book is talking about. Mm-hmm. And something, something that you and I talked about in the process of writing my newest book, and we'll get to that, is how we often act based on the kind of person we want to be. Mm. But that's not always pure hearted. Like um, in one of my early podcast episodes, I talked to a reader who said that she consistently picks books that she thinks will make her look smart if she reads them. She wants to read the books that the the intelligent readers are reading. And Allie, she hated them all, but she was just picking them because she felt like that's what a smart person would read. And that's, it's so sneaky because it would be easy for me. Like I really value social justice. So I want to stay informed on this, those issues. So I often choose books in that genre, which is subtly different from choosing a book that will make me look like a person person. who cares (laughs) about. So it's so easy to go awry and not even realize we've done it. And a lot of what I do in my job on, um, Modern Mrs. Darcy in my podcast, What Should I Read Next, is help readers diagnose what what might not be quite right in their reading life, but also to articulate why what they're doing is working really well for them. Mm. Because when you can put words to it, you can you can replicate it. I love that so much. I, I love what you're doing too, because I think, and I know you think that books are so important. And a lot of times I'll hear you know, when I tell people about the work I do, I'll hear something like, well, aren't books kind of going away or bookstores kind of going away? And I don't think books are going anywhere. But can you talk a little bit about, from your perspective, what you think we can get from books that we can't get from other media? Because obviously, there's truth to the fact that we can access content in so many free ways that what would compel a reader to walk to a bookstore 
you know, especially a physical bookstore mm-hmm. and go spend 15 or $20 mm-hmm. on a book. But yeah, what do you think books give us that we can't get somewhere else? That's a great question. First of all, I was delighted by the news that hundreds of people have sent me that said more Americans went to the library last year than to the movies. And I think the headline might actually say, yes, really, it's true because it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't seem like that's the way the world works at first glance. But we are still reading. And I totally agree with you that books are not going away anytime soon. Oh, that's a great question. And when we're talking about books, we're talking about so many different things. I mean, you can read a book on civil engineering, or you could read a book about mice in outer space, or you could read a book about, you know, a family falling apart or a family coming together. Like the word book encompasses all ages and all genres and so much. Well, I think, I think we'll never get over stories. We'll never get over the drive to learn and explore. And what I love about books is really, it makes me think of what I just said about blogging, how I love the immediacy of blogging. If you're picking up a book, it has evolved over time. Even if it's a short time, it's evolved over time. It took time and thought to write it and time to get it into your hands. And some books that we're picking up and reading now have been around for hundreds or even thousands of years. And there's this sense of timelessness that you have in a book. It's a product that's crafted with such care at every step. And it's true, we can read other places, but a book is something special. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think there's something about being able to take the physical book. You know, I tell writers when I work with them that people are going to take this book into the bathtub with them, into their (laughs) bed with them, onto the couch with them, on a trip with them, on an airplane. Like it's such an intimate thing to be invited into a reader's life in a way that you know, with Instagram, it's like so disposable. It's so fast. It's not that it's not a way to transmit information, but it's not necessarily a way that you go on a journey with a writer over the course of, you know, 10 or 20 hours or however long you end up spending with the manuscript. So I think, I think you're really right about that. And I definitely don't think books are going anywhere anytime soon. Speaking of books, you have a book coming out. Let's transition to this, to Anna's a writer. Your book is called Don't Overthink It. Congrats, by the way. It's coming out March 3rd. Is that right? Yes, it is. Amazing. Okay. Well, everybody go order her book wherever you buy books. Funny thing, seeing as what I do every day is work with books and write and talk about books, there are quite a few examples from the writing life in Don't Overthink It. Are there? Tell me more. Oh, Allie. (laughs) So, so much of overthinking is tied to decisions and our inner thought patterns, what's going on in our heads. And you're a writer. I mean, you talk to yourself about the writing, right? Yes. You know that when you're writing, it's just, oh my gosh, like writing a book is like making 9,000 decisions, like (laughs) one after one after one after one. And then you talk to yourself. And like one of the things I talk about in the book is a mantra like I use when I'm writing. And that is it. Really, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. Like I just try to totally divorce like how I'm feeling about how the work is going on any given day and what I need to do to get the work done. They are totally different things. And then another thing I come back to all the time is this line from a Wallace Stegner novel. This is not a book about the writing life at all. The character happens to be a writer, but there are lots of books in the book because two of the main characters are professors and they read and they write and occasionally it comes up. But 
The thing one character says to the other is hard writing makes for easy reading. And sometimes when I'm thinking, how could I be a writer? I have been wrestling this paragraph to the ground for an hour and a half, and I still can't get these 27 words in the right order. What am I even doing? Why am I here? Somebody else should write this book. I just remember hard writing makes for easy reading. It is okay that it's hard. We will get there. It's so true. And it's normal that it's hard. It's funny because people think that if they struggle with their writing, that that somehow disqualifies them from being a writer. And and I'm I'm seconding what you're saying, which is that it actually is what qualifies you to be a writer is that you care about how it sounds, how it looks on the page, how it comes across to a reader. You care that your message is being communicated clearly. If you didn't care, then... <laughs> That would be a different story. (laughs) Right. And when you're reading a new hardcover novel that you love and you think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can never be a writer. Well, you're reading that person's like ninth draft. And there have been so many hands on that thing to make all the words flow in just the right order. I mean, it's just, you can't compare that to what you just like threw up on your legal pad on (laughs) on Tuesday morning because you had a new idea. Like they're just not, not the same thing. So true. Speaking of which, a book is such a team effort. I think a lot of people don't realize that too. They think of it being a very private um, author goes away to cabin in the woods, comes back with book kind of thing. (laughs) um, Where can I book it? (laughs) Where is that cabin, right? But no, I really do. Over the last 10 years as I've worked with writers, I've been convinced more and more and more that a book is a team effort. There are always so many hands on a book. And you, when you were working on Don't Overthink It, you reached out to me and to find your voice and to ask for some outlining help with the book. And I'm curious to talk to you a little bit about that. What was it that compelled you to reach out? Were you stuck in the process? What was going through your head at the time? Oh, gosh. Well, I reached out to you very early. I hadn't had the opportunity to get stuck. And the reason is that I think I had a solid awareness. I mean, I'm sure I have blind spots, Allie, that I will discover (laughs) beginning tomorrow since now I'm talking about this. But I have a solid awareness of what is really hard for me and what comes easily. And I know that I am great at ideas and I am really solid at making connections between seemingly disparate things that other people wouldn't see. Like that's why I can do my podcast, What Should I Read Next? I make book recommendations on the fly based on what people say they love. And I, my brain can go really weird places. I'm really good at it. The downside of that is my thoughts don't go in a straight line, which is really, it's a huge upside for a lot of what I do. But when it comes to creating an outline for a manuscript that is on deadline that needs to be put together, I just knew from my previous two books, even one was an essay collection, that's not that hard to structure, that structure is really difficult for me. And that's true in my real life as well, as far as like mapping out my day from what's going to happen from seven o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon. Once I have a firm structure in place, I can work wonderfully within it. And I can even adapt it as needed. And it works great for me. But getting that structure initially in place is so, so difficult. And Allie, that's what you do. So (laughs) I, I knew that from the very beginning, getting help from someone who can think with that kind of big picture analytical mindset about the format of a book, that that could save me months and months of time that would feel like banging my head against the wall. I mean, I enjoy moving things around to a point, but I know that it was really important to get 
a linear structure to a book. That's how nonfiction books are written and that I was going to need help at a certain point. And I thought the sooner, the better. And even though the structure that you'll see when you pick up the finished copy of Don't Overthink It is significantly different than the one you and I put together, just having that starting point was an enormous help. It just saved me so much time and angst and mental energy. Good. I'm so glad. So glad. That might be the answer to this next question, but I'm wondering what the most difficult part of the writing process is for you. And then also like some maybe tips and tricks that you've used to overcome those difficulties because you've, this is your third book that you've completed and I know you've got many more to come. So you've obviously found a way forward. What kind of insight could you give our listeners to help them if they're feeling stuck in their writing? It's been interesting to see, especially with this project for Don't Overthink It. I think I know what I want to write about, but as I begin writing, I realize, and I'm using the present tense because this is always true. I begin to realize what I'm really writing about, or sometimes I'll realize I'm not writing about what I thought I was writing about, or I'm not just writing about what I thought I was writing about, but I'm not sure what else belongs. I'm not sure what else I need to discover. And just that initial phase where you're not, you can't just sit down and like start working on the next thing. You have to figure out the scope before you can like really get into it. I find that, I find that really, really interesting and I find it rewarding, but it's also so, so difficult. And then I also find it tricky to get the distance to see if what is in my head, if what I think I'm saying to the reader is actually the thing I'm saying on the page. Because as a writer, it can be so difficult to set aside everything you already know and all your assumptions and all the background knowledge you have because you're the one who wrote the words on the page yes. and just to look at it fresh and see, does this say what what I think it says? It seems like that should be the easiest thing in the world <laughs> to see. But your own blind spots, it's so hard to see your own blind spots. Well, and when you know what you want it to say, you just, you know, it's like how the mind fills in the missing pieces. Yeah. It's so easy to to fill in the missing pieces, even if they're not there, which is why, I mean, the way that I work around that is I have a ton of people read my work and I'll tell them after they've read it the first time, this is what I'm trying to say. Is it there? And a lot of times the answer is <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm glad you told me because I never would have Oh known. man. That's so interesting too, to think about the difference between trying to write something down and trying to talk it out. I'm just imagining you handing a piece of writing to someone and saying to them, this is what I'm trying to say. And you're telling them with your words but then when they read the words on the paper, they're like, this is not what you're actually saying. But like, what is the disconnect between those two things? Because I think sometimes we th we find it quite easy to communicate through the spoken word. And then when we sit down to the page to actually write, we're like, oh, no, I don't know what to say. That's such a great question. I'm thinking of everything that I've read over the years about the power of nonverbal communication. And I'm also thinking about how Okay. I heard BJ Novak say once at a writer event, to write well, all you have to do is talk. If you can talk, you can write. <laughs> but, but how many of you can really talk? I bet not very many of you. If you look at transcripts of people having a conversation, it is not elegant writing. Uh, there are fragments and shifts and trains of thought. And you can't just take the words you speak and put them on the page and have it 
read in a way that makes sense. And it definitely doesn't read in a way that is a pleasure because of the way the prose is put together. That That is a really good question, though. It's so interesting. Something I'm interested in thinking more about. I mean, I've thought quite a bit about it because often when I work with speakers turned writers, I'm like, you are such a prolific communicator. You can jump on a stage at a moment's notice in front of thousands of people and compel the audience. But then I sit you at a computer and it's like, the blinking cursor is like, is your <laughs> kryptonite. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, so just a fascinating question to think more about. Yeah. I think when I'm speaking, like if I were to hand you a paragraph that I wrote, okay, if I were to hand you a paragraph of Don't Overthink It, I could say, Allie, I really want people to know that it doesn't have to be that way and they have the power to make change and these are the things they can do. Like there is hope and this is what I want them to know. Hmm. If you put that on paper, it sounds super earnest. And I don't, sure. yeah. I don't I don't want to do that to people. It sounds it sounds sappy or just a little over the top. And but I can tell you that in words and it sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So that must be part of it that there's a there's a difference between spoken communication and written communication. And I think you're right that the nonverbals must have a big a big piece to do with it too. <laughs> I want to take a little bit of a turn because this is a conversation I've been super interested to have with you. I wanted to save it until the end because it's the thing I'm most interested in. But you told me a couple of months ago that you had a writing project that you have wanted to start working on. You're not necessarily sure if it will be something that you publish or not, or if it even fits in with what you're already doing, but it's maybe a passion project. Is that fair to say? Sure. And you were like, what do I do? <laughs> it's a clear question. Like, I kind of want to do this, but it maybe seems like a waste of time. Here's what was so compelling about our conversation to me is that the words I heard you saying about this project are the same exact words I hear every single writer who comes to me say about their writing projects and especially new writers. But the, the whole point is it's not just new writers. It's every writer that says things like, I'm worried this is going to be a waste of time. Um, I don't have much time in my life anyway. I'm not sure it's going to be any good. This is not really my area of expertise. Other people have already done this and they've done it better than I could. All of the things that I hear writers say over and over again. And what was so fascinating about this to me is that you've written three books. You are really, truly a prolific writer. Your whole career is built around your words. <laughs> and this, it's still a challenge to try to find space and places in our lives where we can write the things that are heavy on our hearts. And that's kind of a cheesy way to say it, but the words that are nagging at us to get them down on the page. I just want to have a conversation about this. Like what is so hard about finding space for that kind of writing? Oh, well, first of all, yes to everything you said. And that is definitely a present tense thing that I'm working with. Um, especially now I have a book coming out, which has all kinds of <laughs> demands on my time. You think that you finish a book and then you're done with the time it took <laughs> To devote to the book, but it just, they're just new and different ways for you to spend time on your work. And that's not a complaint. It is definitely a statement of calendar fact. What I've observed is that this project I'm working on, it or not, not present tense working on, I haven't touched it for a week, which is not my goal. It is the definition of important, but not urgent mm -hmm. to me. Like it's important to me. It's something that I want to do. But 
I'm not accountable to anybody to get it done. It's really time consuming. I'm still definitely at that stage where I'm figuring out like, what, what am I writing about? What is the thing here? What does this work need to be? I'm still, I'm still figuring that out. And also I do have this successful business that, you know, pays for groceries, which like I have, I have almost, <laughs> almost three teenagers in the house and then another kid who eats as much as one. So like paying for groceries <laughs> is a big deal. And I have kids that are going to go off to college soon. Like I have financial responsibilities and to take all this time thinking that this isn't necessarily fun. It's not like a hobby. It's super time consuming and it takes me away from my business that employs people and keeps the lights on and like truly brings me joy. I love what I do. You know, that's on the surface. It seems like, why would you do that? And, <laughs> right? you know, like why mess with a good thing? Yeah. You're like, this is, I'm, I've got more than what most people have. Shouldn't I just be happy with that? Right, right, right. And, yeah. But it comes down to what I tell myself including like, yes, hard writing makes easy reading and it doesn't matter how I feel about it. And I may, I may go around and revisit that. I mean, of course it matters how I feel about it. If I get to a point in this project where I think, you know what, like I begrudge the time I'm spending on this, then I will definitely shift gears. But what I've told myself for now is I've wanted to do this for a long time. I don't know if I can. And I know that you're going to want to tell me like, of course you can, whatever, but I don't know if I <laughs> want to invest the effort to make it the kind of manuscript that would make me satisfied. And I'm tempted to say, I don't know if I have a brain that can actually do the kind of thing that I really admire when I see other people do it, but I'm less certain whether that is actually true or not. But what I've decided is I've really wanted to do this for a long time. And this is an experiment and it's going to be a time consuming experiment, but I'm going to do it. And if I get to the end and I can publish it, and, you know, work with a team to make it really good and then put it out into the world, that will be great. And if I finish it and look at it and think, I do not want this to go out into the world, but by golly, I did it. Now I know it won't be hanging over my head. I won't be wondering like, should I do the thing? Do mm. I want to do the thing? I really want to do the thing. Should I make time to do the thing? Like that will be behind me. So whatever, whatever happens, I've decided this is an experiment I'm doing my very time consuming experiment that I'm having a hard time making time for right now, but it's, it's happening. happening slower than I want, but it's happening. And the key there has been, I'm in a couple of different writers group and you're, you're in one of them and everyone has given me the same advice. You've got to put it on the calendar and you have to decide what you're working on. Like I'm in a busy season right now, so maybe I can read through the work and maybe I can tinker with it, but I maybe wouldn't be writing next chapters or when I head out on the road, like these are the kinds of things I can work on with this project um, just to have different expectations of myself yeah. to suit the season. I'm wondering if you're willing to give a couple of specifics for listeners who are wondering how they can fit their passion writing into their busy life. So like, are you writing for 20 minutes a day for a few days a week? Are you writing for two hours a week on one day? Are you what, what is the system that works well for you with this particular project? Well, when I work on it at home, I work from home, so I'm often at home. 
I work on it on my laptop, which is just a quirky thing. It just so happens I don't have Microsoft Word on my iMac. I only have it on my laptop. So <laughs> I, I got in the habit of working on my books on my MacBook. I have a different room in the house that has really terrible internet, which is uh, something that's kind of annoying that I've turned into a strength for this. I work on it in that space. So that's helpful. So I can I can look at the calendar and be like, okay, I have an hour in these couple of days and I'll go in that room. But what really works better for me, I haven't been able to make it happen this week, but I know it's going to happen next, is there's a coffee shop very close to my house. When I get to a different space, if I put that on the calendar, it's so much easier for me to focus and honor that commitment to myself and not be accessible to other people. I love my team. I have a team that helps me run Modern Mrs. Darcy and What Should I Read Next? And they're amazing and I want them to be in contact with me, but they don't want to be in contact with me when they know I'm working on my project. But just being in this different space, it's a different frame of mind and I'm at a physical, literal distance from the rest of my work. It's so, so helpful. That's great advice. If I was working out of the house, I'd try to do it two and a half hours twice a week and then a couple hours in one hour chunks at home. And then at home, sometimes I get to do like two hour chunks. It's been more like one hour lately. But what I found is the, with this project that's newer, I don't know it inside out and backwards. So it's really tricky for me to work on it once a week. It's so much better if sure. I work on it a little bit every day because then it always feels fresh. I don't have to get reoriented every yeah, time I yeah, sit yeah. down and open my computer. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that can be most time consuming about working on a project is, especially if you're letting it rest for a long time between um, working on it, is the getting back into it. And it's another reason why I don't think short bursts work as well for working on a long project. Like I always try to convince writers who are just getting started in a regular practice of writing to like, if you have five minutes a day, give it five minutes a day to write your thoughts down on a piece of paper. But if you're working on a longer project, I think your point is a really good one, which is that you're not going to get much done in 20 minutes. So an hour, an hour and a half, two hours seems like a really good block of time. Yeah, definitely. Or that's what I found to be the case for me. Okay. I have one last question before we wrap up, Anne, but where can people find you? My home base is my blog, modernmrsdarcy.com. And if you are a podcast listener, we are What Should I Read Next? And don't forget, go buy her book. Don't overthink it wherever you buy your books. It's available everywhere. Okay, last question. I ask this question always, and it's a it seems like a really big question, but I don't mean it to be that way. I ask it because I really believe that words have the power to have a lasting impact on the world beyond just us. So I'm wondering if you had to put into words what you would want your legacy to be or what you would want people to say about you after you're gone or your work after you're gone, what might you, what words might you use for that? Allie, that is a good question. And it's also hard for me to answer because I've observed some things over the years about the character of my work. And that is that I don't like come in with this like sweeping change for your life or this like big, bold, new plan or routine. My work is more about a subtle shift in viewpoint that changes the way you see the world or a tiny tweak that makes all the difference in a relationship or the way you manage yourself or the way you approach your work. So that being said, I don't know that anybody's going to write this on my tombstone, but I really hope that my work exposes people to the like the sneakily subversive nature of 
books. Books are polite. They're friendly. Like books aren't in the list of things you can't talk about with strangers or at a cocktail party. Books are publicly sanctioned. This is okay to talk about. We can share this in common things. And yet the reason I like books is because through books, we address huge issues in life and relationships and love and how we see God and how we see ourselves and how we see the world. You can go there in a book. You can go there in conversation really, really quickly. That's that's what I've always loved about Modern Mrs. Darcy and What Should I Read Next is we can talk about really important things in ways that are natural and not awkward because we're doing it through the lens of books and reading. So what I hope my legacy is, even if people couldn't like turn and point to it and say, and did that, is that I help people see new possibilities for their lives that they maybe didn't see, that I subtly shift their perspective to enlarge the way they see the world. Because I, I think an insight or, a, you know, a little tip or pointer or a novel yeah. can really shift something in your mind and let you see something familiar to you in an entirely new way. That's really, really powerful. It reminds me of like a physics thing. Is it a lever or something? I lost my terminology. <laughs> but you just you just turn it like a notch, but you end up in a totally different place through the power of that one simple change. And I hope that I can be a part of that one little change that ends up changing everything when you extrapolate those effects over the long haul. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And what a perfect way to wrap up. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. We are so looking forward to reading Dodo or Think It and hope to read lots more writing from you to come. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.